to go into that room, the smell hits me. And if you, there's one thing about war and combat that you can't replicate in the movies. And that's just the smell of things. And uh, the smell in there is, I can, it's, it's the irony smell of blood mixed with the gunpowdery smell of, you know, of, of, of rounds when they've been shot out of a gun. It's just such a distinct smell <clears throat> that it's, it's, it's hard to explain. But if you, if you've experienced, you know exactly what I'm talking about. As I make entry to that room, that team's still in there clearing, back clearing, securing the women and the other kids that are in there. I see dead terrorist straight in front of me. He's got an AK 47 on him that he was apparently sleeping with. He's dead on the ground. He's got a perfect hole through his chest. The women inside the room are screaming hysterically, which is uh, normal uh, when you've just been part of that. I commend my team for when they came in there and were about to get engaged by that guy that they didn't engage any of the women in the room. Um, but what happened when I look over on the bed, there's a deceased Afghan child on the bed, a boy. And uh, you can, it's pretty easy to tell what happened to that that young um boy as he was on the bed with his father when his father rose up to engage they shot him and my saw gunner in particular engaged him very close range uh right in the chest there's a perfect hole through the chest of the enemy that's dead on the ground very obvious to me that's the machine gun that's the saw gunner that's where his rounds landed they went straight through the chest um and into the boy that was on the bed. And he was in a similar position as his dad, I guess, because there was a perfect hole through that boy. And uh, it, it hit me almost immediately that that boy dead on the bed there was about the same age as my son, who's back in America. And I don't know, it was an instant thought. It was a quick thought. Welcome to the Leading with Vulnerability podcast. I'm your host, Yuma Barnett. You guys all know me. I'm still the same old G, though I've been low-key. Okay, that's it. That's all the Dr. Dre rapping you're going to get out of me today. But yeah, it's uh, it's Veterans Day week. Uh, I'll tell you what, it feels a little bit different this year because this is my first Veterans Day outside of the uniform, and it just has a little bit of a, a, a different feel to it. And we'll get into that in a minute. I'll We'll get into... Uh, why I think that is or why I feel that way. But on this Veterans Day episode, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Veterans Day as a whole. Uh, I'm going to tell you a good old fashioned uh, a war story because who doesn't like a good war story? And uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the stuff facing Veterans Day and some of the challenges and some of the things they're going through, especially during this uh, this time of year. I think every year and, and why it is. Um, but uh, before I really get into it, I want to say, I hope you guys like the uh, background I'm pointing at it here. Uh, I got uh, the green screen up and running. I thought this was a nice appropriate background for the, the veterans day episode. And if you're listening to the podcast, go on to YouTube and check it out. Check out my green green screen skills. Say that 10 times fast. 
Um, thinking about maybe doing the weather because I think it, almost anybody could do the weather in Georgia. Um, um, I don't know if we need to be a meteorologist for that. So uh, maybe maybe I'll diversify uh, from the podcast and start start doing some more stuff, which I'm going to, and, and we're going to talk about that at the uh, at the end of this episode. Uh, but uh, I okay, I got off the rails a little bit there, a little bit off track. Let's uh, recenter. And on that thought of recentering, as I am now a member of the veteran community external to the uh, to being in uniform. Uh, I had to go back and I just wanted to recenter on what Veterans Day is by by definition. And uh, yes, I think we all know what Veterans Day is and what it's all about. But uh, even on in that instance, on a lot of things, sometimes I, I like to go back to the book reference, even uh, when it comes to words or something in the dictionary, sometimes I just go look up and see exactly what it means. So hopefully, all of you out there listening and watching know what Veterans Day is, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. So we'll call this reading time with Yuma as I, as I read what's Veterans Day, right? Veterans Day, originally known as Armistice Day, is a federal holiday in the United States observed annually on November 11th. It's for honoring military veterans of the United States Armed Forces. It coincides with other holidays like Armistice Day and Remembrance Day, which were to celebrate uh, other countries mark the anniversary of the end of World War I. Um, the armistice was signed on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918. Um, and, you know, ended, ended World War I. And on that note of World War I and, and Veterans Day, if you're out there... Um, and you still have a Netflix account or you still have um, your brother-in-law or sister-in-law's Netflix account and they haven't blocked it yet, I, I would recommend that you all get on and watch All Quiet on the Western Front on Netflix. It is a very, um, it's grim, I don't know, dark look at uh, World War One and that trench warfare. And uh, it is just... Uh, it shows you what those veterans went through kind of and that led to the armistice, which led to the 11th hour, 11th day that, you know, eventually led to veterans day. Go check that movie out. Uh, gain some appreciation from the, from our forefathers and sisters that served uh, either in the trenches. And I really felt for those nurses that were in there treating and having to amputate all those legs and arms and those wounds that they just could not, you know, the, the medicine back then wasn't, wasn't up to snuff to, to save, to save so many of those people that died during World War One. So as, as we're on Veterans Day, Veterans Day week, I suggest, you know, go watch that movie and just gain an appreciation or a, a refound appreciation for those who served in World War One. Cause I think sometimes World War One gets a little bit overlooked because we look at World War Two and D-Day and, uh, and all the stuff that came with World War Two. World War One was a nasty nasty conflict and it didn't matter what side of you you were on a soldier is a soldier uh sometimes they're not all bad they're just following orders and are put in a bad situation and uh nothing could be more true than some of that trench warfare fight that they had during uh, world war one so go check that out recenter you on veterans day and it's kind of its origins and where, where it came from um i said you know this this Veterans Day feels a little bit different outside of uniform. And I think, you know, I, when I was in uniform, Veterans Day, although important, um, all, all I really, you know, I knew I was going to get a, a long weekend out of the deal. Um, 
But at the end of that weekend or after Veterans Day, whenever it was, you know, I'm going to put the uniform back on with the U.S. Army tape and I was going to go back to work and I was going to kind of still build my Veterans Day story, if you will, on active duty. And now that I'm on the other side, um, I'm doing more reflection. I, I see, you know, I'm reflecting more on, on my service, on my own service, on the service I had with the with others and then just the the military as a whole, the military community as a whole, it just has a little bit of a different feel on the other side. Uh, I still need to go pick up my veteran hat that says I'm an Afghan Iraq war veteran and put all my pins and medals on it. Right. Cause I think that's just, uh, that's something that should be issued when you retire, but uh, I'll go, you know, I'll see if I can get a closing clothing allowance from mom and go and, and go do that. But I, I'm doing my best to represent, the organization and, and Delta company 375 with my own veteran apparel uh, on the civilian side. Um, it, ju it just feels a little bit different. And when I think about, you know, when I'm reflecting on that time, I, there's a lot of stories that come to mind about my service and, you know, the 16 deployments. And I'm going to share a story with you today that I don't necessarily enjoy sharing. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of grim and dark and it's a, it's a story that, um, Sometimes I have literal, literally have nightmares about some of the stuff that happened, but uh, uh, I think it's important to share that and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why when I'm done sharing this story. So I'm going to set the scene for this. I'm a squad leader in ALF Company, 1st Ranger Battalion down there in Savannah, Georgia. We're on a winter trip to Afghanistan. Um, for those of you who have done a winter trip to Afghanistan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can see the terrain, you know, um, you can see it. We were in the mountains on this particular trip for most of, well, he actually bounced around a lot on this trip, but on this particular mission, we were in the mountains. Couldn't tell you what province. I don't remember. I don't remember my four kids' names on an hourly basis. So to tell you what province I was in in 2009 is not going to happen. Uh, and I, with that, I'll probably get a few of the details wrong, but I'm gonna get most of this this story right because it uh, it's one that's stuck with me for years, the good and the bad. So Afghanistan, for those of you, like I said, who haven't been there, but if you've been to the desert southwest, New Mexico, Arizona, California, very similar in in landscape and uh, in the in the weather and the climate in the wintertime, cold, windy, snow blowing. Um, uh, at the same time, kind of beautiful. At the same time, it's kind of strange. But here we are. We're gonna we're gonna pick up the story on the back of a helicopter. So I'm on the back of a helicopter, probably an MH47, flying to target in these mountains. And on this particular mission, we're doing an offset infill, which means we're not landing close to the target. We're landing far away, as far away as we can from the target, to where we can still walk to it in a reasonable amount of time. But hopefully, the enemy one. Maybe they won't hear us coming, even though those helicopters echo through those valleys. Um, uh, pretty, pretty predominant to, to hear us coming in. But even if they did hear us coming in, maybe they didn't know we were coming for them because there's so many different villages around. Uh, hopefully they, you know, we've been there for a long time at this point, 2009. So maybe they think we're going somewhere else and we can still sneakily get into the, uh, to the village that we're going to. My team is, uh, or my team, I say team, but uh, it's my squad and I'm not going to use names. I'm going to use uh, positions, duty positions. So, cause some of these um, people in this story are still, still wearing the uniform and serving our country and doing great things. So I don't want to use their name. So I'm just going to use their duty positions as I go, I go through this story. Uh, but we're a primary assault on a compound 
uh, of interest um, uh, on this particular night. There's two compounds. There's a secondary compound where the first squad is going to assault simultaneously as our assault. And then I had a second squad, a team. I think it was just a team from second squad was uh, attached to my, my squad to help us clear the compound that we were clearing. Uh, okay, now, let me, now let's go back inside the helicopter. Uh, uh, descending down into the mountains. And, you know, for those of you who have been there and done that, when you descend down into those mountains tonight, the moon was just particularly bright that night. And you can see the shadow of the helicopter bouncing off the sides of the trees and the mountains as you as you descend in there. Uh, I can see it vividly. Uh, I can feel the rotor wash, the cold coming in to, to the cabin. And I'm on a knee at the back of the aircraft with the door gunner and I'm watching out his, I'm watching out the door, seeing this, the shadows on the mountains from the, from the moonlight. And I'm looking out the, the back of the ramp where I'm about to run off of this aircraft into, into, uh, into our infiltration, uh, HLZ, which is a helicopter landing zone. So as we descend down one minute, 30 seconds, we're getting closer to the ground. You can see the little bit of snow that's still on the ground. The dust is starting to kick up from the sides of the mountains where the road rush rotor wash is hitting the mountains and we pull down you know and we land on this in this lz and this valley uh next to a road that we're going to walk to to target and we off you know we run off the back of the aircraft and that's always a hairy time even if you are in an offset and you don't think there's any enemy combatants around or any compounds around or or houses still when you're running off the back of that aircraft which is one of the loudest things, you know, probably the loudest thing in that valley at that moment. Um, and the dust is going anywhere and the snow's going up and the rocks are hitting you in the back of the neck. And you're, you want to look up and pull security and look, but you really can't see anything. Um, uh, it's just so, it's chaos. Doesn't matter if you're going to the X, which is right on the target, or if you're offsetting. Uh, but you, we ran off the back of that aircraft, we take an E. And it goes from absolute loud kind of chaos to this creepy, almost dead silence. When the aircraft eventually pull up, they're outside of earshot. You can't hear the rotors anymore in the valley. And it's just you and the, your, your platoon, your squad, your team, uh, you know, in the Afghan winter night. And the dust starts to settle. Uh, you can see the other element who just got off the other helicopter on, the, on their HLZ, which is, you know, 100, 150 meters away. And it's just quiet. Um, and uh, there's a there's a brief pause during this why the dust settles. Um, you you start to look, the the radios start to crack and people start to check in. Um, yeah, it's it's a very, you know, from the chaos to this kind of cerebral moment before you start to move into your objective area, it's a it's an it's it's hard to explain unless you've done it. But as the dust settles, we pick up, we, we start to move, and we're going to move down this road about five kilometers to the objective area. And some of you listening who've been to Afghanistan are saying, I can't believe they're going to move down the road. And some of you have no idea. You would just think we'd move down the road. But obviously, in a combat environment, when you're moving down a road, it's a known entity to you, and it's definitely a known entity to the enemy. So you don't know if they see you. They, you don't know if they've put explosive devices on the road, if they have ambush points set up on the road. Uh, you hope that the aircraft that are watching your back overhead can see everything and it'll be able to alert you if somebody is looking at you or following your movement. And you hope that that bomb sniffing dog and those EOD explosive ordnance um, 
technicians that are up front can find any buried IEDs or something that might be on the road. But if you don't take the road, you're not going to make it to target in time. And some it's at night in this terrain in the winter. Um, you have to take the roads. Uh, you got, it's a, it's a risk, right? But you got a, that's part of being a leader is risk mitigation. How do you mitigate this risk to still accomplish the the task? And this night we're going to take the road. So we all get online. I think I'm second or third in the order of movement. Got our night vision down. And it's funny, anybody who's been under night vision, it doesn't take long. You know, you spend a lot of time under night vision and training. You can just look at the back of somebody. You can tell by what equipment they're carrying and the how they walk, who it is. And you can do that for quite a distance. We're about third in third in the order of movement, I think, because uh, uh, we're the primary assault on this building. So the first element is your isolation and containment, which is going to contain the outsides of the building and watch your back while you make entry. And, uh, you know, we're in the back because we're going to come up there when they're set and, and assault the compound. So we're making this 5K trip through the through the mountains, um, uh, up and down some, some winding roads, and we get to our objective rally point, which is, you know, the last place you're going to stop and make sure everything's good before you go start assaulting this objective. And I remember on this particular night, our objective rally point was at an elevated position overlooking the village that we were going to go into. And the moonlight was shining on the compound perfectly. Uh, you could see it without, without night vision. Um, it was that bright outside. Uh, you can see the secondary compound, which was behind it, where the uh, first squad was going to go and conduct a simultaneous assault with us. And it's just, it's dead quiet. The The only thing that's going on is some dogs that are barking, which is just, you know, your average day in Afghanistan, some, some dogs down there barking. So our isolation, our containment pieces, they move out. They sit in their blocking positions on roads and positions of advantage where they can watch our back while we make our assault. And I moved up with my squad and a team from the second squad to the wall of the target compound. Um, you move up to, you know, we move up to the wall. Uh, it's a pretty good wall, seven, seven and a half foot wall. Uh, I remember searching with the team leader for a good position to put the ladders, to put the ladders up, uh, find a good spot to put the ladders and put the ladders up on the wall quietly and then send up two people to look over and clear the internal of the compound before we jump in. Um, on this particular night, we're doing a silent, a silent clear, which means we're going to get in. We're going to try to get in there quietly and walk straight into their bedroom and, and, and get the bad guys without them ever knowing we're there. We're not going to, we're not going to go loud unless we have to, we're not going to blow a breach or breach a gate or breach a door unless we absolutely have to. So my, the two members, they go over, clear the initial courtyard from the ladders, and then we get the go ahead to go ahead and enter the courtyard. Now, when I say silent, clear, we're trying to be as quiet as we can entering this courtyard, you know, jumping off a seven foot wall where some people are carrying between 40 and 80 pounds of equipment, body armor, machine guns, rifles, shotguns, breaching charges. So quiet is a relative term, right? Trying to jump in there. You just hope because it's wintertime, everybody that lives in that compound, they're inside sleeping. These adobe huts are pretty good at muffling the sound and you hope they're just asleep enough to where they don't hear you coming in. So our initial team and myself, we jump in to the compound where we're in now. 
we got an initial foothold and we get as many people inside the courtyard as we can, as fast as we can. So if things do go south real fast, we can support one another and either fight our way to the enemy and take them out and get into a building, or we can fight our way out and, and go reassess. Uh, we got in, everything's still quiet. Nothing, nothing's happening. Uh, everything still seems to be no movement on the, the buildings. There's the, there's a secondary, uh, building. So in all these Afghan compounds or most of them, you have your primary residence and then you have a guest house residence where uh, the guests will stay. Um, or it's like a storage shed or it could be a number of things, but there's always, there seems to always be kind of an outbuilding. To get to our primary compound, my squad, we had to move past this outbuilding, this guest house, and go around, which is always a, a risk when you're going to move past a building that has not been cleared yet, and you're going to put that building behind you um, to go to the primary compound. Um, well, that was a risk that I, as the leader, I said, we're, we're going to pass this guest compound. That second squad team that's with me will break off and clear the, that guest compound as we move past to the primary compound. In hindsight, that's going to be a, an interesting <laughs> uh, thought on my part, and we'll get to that in a second. So I got everybody inside the courtyard that we need to start our assault. And right now, uh, we're still going slow. Nothing, Nobody knows we're there, so we're creeping across. You know, you can feel and hear the crunch of the, the sand and the dirt and the, and the rocks in these courtyards. And my lead element starts moving around that guest building and there's some windows in it and they've got their lasers on their guns up and they're clearing inside there. We don't see any movement, no shadows moving. And I remember I come up pretty close to that guest building and I peek into a window. I don't, I don't see anything in there. I don't see anything moving. And we continue on around because if something was moving and there seemed to be a threat, we were going to stop and, and clear that building first. But it, at this time, it seemed like everybody was still asleep and that second squad team is just going to break off behind us and clear that building as we move forward. Now, everything I'm going to tell you here next happens very fast. It happens faster than I'm going to be able to tell the story. So just to give you some context, I'm going to tell the story, but the whole time that all, everything that happens from us moving past this guest house to um, the end is a short period of time compared to what I'm going to tell you. But to tell it, I have to slow down a little bit. So we're moving past this guest compound. I can see the primary compound up in front of me. It's a, it's a building where all the entry doors are ex located external. So um, like in a row, uh, each room is in a row down there. And my squad is going to clear from the right to the left. Uh, there's uh, one, two, three, four, four doors, four different rooms on this compound. Just as we're moving past, I've got my laser up and I'm putting the laser on the front door of the first room that I want my squad to clear. And I'm sending them, I mean, they're moving, you know, not running, but at a decent pace. And the instructions are if the door is open, if it's not locked, you're going to make entry silently and, and clear the room. If it's locked, let us know and we will breach explosively and then make entry. So they're moving past, they're moving into their position. They know what they're going to do if it's open or if it's closed. My Bravo team is moving to the doorway of the other room. They're, they've got the same instructions and 
right about this time behind us, chaos uh, ensues. Uh, I don't look back to see what's going on. All I know is there's a large commotion followed by gunshots behind us relatively fast. Um, this, this starts putting things in high gear with my element. My alpha team moves, starts moving faster because now they know we're here, right? There's been gunfire inside of their compound. They go and they make entry into that first room off to my right as I'm looking at it. I'm staying outside with my Bravo team, pulling security in front of them on the other two rooms that we're not able to clear at that time that they're going to have to bypass and clear. My Bravo team is about to make entry into the second room on there when my Alpha team all of a sudden, um, a, a lot of gunfire starts coming from that first room. Um, I don't know what's going on in there. I just know there's a gunfight in that first room. There's a gunfight behind me and we still have three rooms that we have to clear. As my Bravo team moves in and clears the first room, the doorway at the end of the compound opens and there's a man standing there looking out because obviously he hears what's going on. Um, I'm out there kind of by myself. You know, there's some, obviously there's some people behind me, but I'm running the assault of this compound. So I just pulled security, put my gun on this guy and in my best, um, you know, Farsi, Dari, whatever I was speaking at the time, I tell, try to tell him to come out, put his hands up and he's, uh, he's not having any, he's not having any of it. He's not coming to me. He, um, he, he, I mean, obviously if you think about it from his, he doesn't know what's going on. He knows people are getting shot or things are getting shot all around him. I have night vision. He doesn't have night vision. He can still see me because it's so bright outside, but he's not, he's not coming to me. He's not compliant, uh, which could be, he's just scared. Doesn't want to come out or he's a, he's a, he's one of them and would rather fight than, uh, than go with the Americans. So I have gunfight happening here. I got a team in this room here, clearing it as they're coming back out. I tell them I've got security on this guy to my front. They need to clear the remaining room. One, There's two rooms that still need to be cleared. One with dude in the door and the room here that's still closed. So they make entry. Um, mind you, they have found people in the first room, so they dropped somebody off for security to keep security on them while they continue to clear. I'm still trying to get guy to come out of the doorway. He sees that team go into that room. And he disappears back into his, he runs back into his room. So got a lot of stuff going through my mind right now. Um, what's going on behind me? I hope that's taken care of so I don't get shot in the back. Hope everybody's okay in room one where there's a gunfight. I got a team in room three uh, clearing it. Um, they're yelling and doing stuff in there. They're not shooting, but there's obviously people in there. And I got an old boy in the doorway who decided he didn't want anything to do with this and jets back into his room. So what is he doing? Is he getting a gun? Is he hiding? Is he hiding something? No idea. All I know is I know I don't like it and we need to get this figured out quick. Team finishes up in that room. They come back out and now they have two people with them. There's me and they left somebody in there for security on the people that are internal. So the doorway to where guy was is halfway open. So I creep around, pie around with my laser up and my gun up. And I see a woman sitting on the floor and old guy is on the bed behind the woman. And the woman is starting to panic and freak out a little bit. Um, at this time, I get the interpreter sent up to me. The interpreter starts telling him to get to come forward, telling the guy to come forward. I don't see a gun on him. I don't see any issue with him. But what he does is he picks up the woman in front of him. And as he's coming toward me, he is hiding behind the woman. Which 
why is he hiding behind the woman? Is he trying to hide something? Is he a suicide bomber? Does he have a gun? I don't know, but I can't see him. Like, um, at this time, there's a lot of stuff going through my head. It's, do I need to engage and kill this woman and this man because uh, they're coming at me? Uh, do I keep trying to call them out? Um, do I try to get some distance? I mean, there's a lot of things happening, and I'm telling you this is happening in milliseconds, not, not the seconds it's taken me. So they get to the doorway. He's still behind the woman. We've backed up a little bit. He won't get let the woman go. The woman is screaming bloody murder. She's not a threat that I can tell. She has no gun. I can't see any gun or any threat from him other than he's scared. And he's using this woman as a shield. So in my thought, you know, people debate whether it's right or wrong, is I shoot a, around over the shoulder of the man to try to get him to to do to le to let the woman go to do something to try to gain a reaction from him so i can see if he's got a gun if he's a bad guy if we need to engage him if we can get the woman out of the way so we won't hurt a non-combatant a female so i shoot one round over his shoulder it has enough it 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 has a, a effect that uh i didn't want but it also kind of helped out right so he after i shoot he jets in behind the door to the left and the woman goes back on the floor runs back to over on the floor on the ground so he's he's hidden in the room again i have a a member from another platoon that is with us on this operation who's helping us out he's pulling he's looking through the window seeing if he can see the guy behind the door he can't see him he can see the woman over here on the floor screaming um and at you know around this time the secondary compound that is going to get assaulted they get in a gunfight over there so I got gunfights 360 all around me. I got an unsecured room in front of me with a potentially hostile armed man hidden behind the door or somewhere behind the door and a screaming woman over here who was just used as a, as a human shield. So I call all I know. We need to get in there and secure this because there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of shooting going on. Not only is this compound know what's happening, all the surrounding compounds in the Valley are starting to wake up too. Uh, and everybody's looking internal except for our BPs that are out there. So we need to get this situation under control, get this building cleared and secured so we can uh, assess what's happening. So I bring the dog handler forward with the dog. I get permission to let the dog off the leash. And I say, we're going to clear in this building. We're going to clear behind the dog. So we lead with a flashbang. Let's throw a flashbang in the room, send the dog into the room and up. You know, I'm telling the dog handler quickly, I'm like, if you can get him to go left, that's where the man is, but it's a dog. So he's going to do it. The dog's going to do what the dog's going to do. Um, so very quickly, this is happening. I tell my remaining two members of my Bravo team, we're going to make entry behind the dog, throw a flashbang and enter. Uh, so quickly get a flashbang, flashbang into the room, dog goes in the room, and then we follow right behind. Uh, unfortunately, the dog did the dog thing and went for the woman. Um, and we made entry. Uh, I'm not sure why it happened, but I ended up going left behind the door. The other team member went right to clear the room. And there's, I pin the door back with my shoulder and there's old boy standing there behind the door cowering. And as soon as I enter the room, he grabs the muzzle of my gun and pulls it. Now, would have been well within my right to engage him because uh, he's now physically touching me and grabbing me and has been non-compliant to this time, but I didn't see a, a weapon on him. So instead of engaging him, I just muzzle thumped him in the head as hard as I could with the muzzle of my weapon. And he dropped like a ton of bricks. We secure the room and secure him. This time is to get out of this room 
and get back to the first room where their initial gunfire was and make sure everybody's okay. And again, this is happening super fast. Um, so I'm out of that room. As I'm about to get to the doorway to go into that room, the smell hits me. And if you, there's one thing about war and combat that you can't replicate in the movies, and that's just the smell of things. And uh, the smell in there is, I can, it's, it's the irony smell of blood mixed with the gunpowdery smell of, you know, of, of, of rounds when they've been shot out of a gun. It's just such a distinct smell <clears throat> that it's, it's, it's hard to explain. But if you've, if you've experienced, you know exactly what I'm talking about. As I make entry to that room, that team's still in there clearing, back clearing, securing the women and the other kids that are in there. I see dead terrorist straight in front of me. He's got an AK-47 on him that he was apparently sleeping with. He's dead on the ground. He's got a perfect hole through his chest. The women inside the room are screaming hysterically, which is uh, normal uh, when you've just been part of that. I commend my team for when they came in there and were about to get engaged by that guy that they didn't engage any of the women in the room. Um, but what happened when I look over on the bed, there's a deceased Afghan child on the bed, a boy. And uh, you can, it's pretty easy to tell what happened to that that young um, boy as he was on the bed with his father when his father rose up to engage they shot him and my saw gunner in particular engaged him very close range uh, right in the chest there's a perfect hole through the chest of the enemy that's dead on the ground very obvious to me that's the machine gun that's the saw gunner that's where his rounds landed they went straight through the chest um, and into the boy that was on the bed and he was in a similar position as his dad, I guess, because there was a perfect hole through that boy. And uh, it, it hit me almost immediately that that boy dead on the bed there was about the same age as my son, who's back in America. And I don't know, it was an instant thought. It was a quick thought. Uh, they just had kind of a similar look uh, about him. And I, I could, the, just the reality of the situation for us, for the Afghans, for my own son back home hit me super fast. Um, I told that team and, and it was, it was there and gone in a flash. I told that team, you know, get the women, rest of the kids out of there, get them to the other room, start clearing this room and, and getting the pictures that we need for uh, when we get back. Was also with that, I knew that my saw gunner had just engaged and killed that, that kid. Um, not his fault. He was just, he was just doing what he was trying to do to save himself. And, uh, that unfortunate thing happened, but I went and checked on him and I said, Hey, are you okay? You know, you're good. Physically you, everything's good. You know, just wanted to check on him specifically. I remember cause he just, what just happened and, you know, we're still in the moment. I don't think it really hits him at the time and may not hit him at all. Uh, but I just wanted to make sure he was okay and, and ready to, to continue the fight. He was good. I got my teams down here conducting the clear. And now I want to go see what had happened when we first made entry and we're moving around the guest house. I still don't know what's happened up there. I move up the, it's a little bit of an incline of a little bit of a hill. And as I round the courtyard wall, 
I see another dead enemy combatant laying there on the ground right behind where we walked. Uh, the platoon sergeant was there and I asked him, Hey, what, what happened here? And he explained it. As soon as my team, my squad passed that guest house, an, an armed adult male from that guest house exited, was drawn down on us with his AK to our rear. Uh, when a, a member of that second squad team that was attached to us reached up, grabbed him and went hand to hand combat with him and ended up, I think, uh, eliminating that threat with, uh, with his hands, um, um, on the ground. He did end up getting shot over the top. The platoon sergeant came over and, and engaged him as well while they were fighting and, and, and eliminated the threat. But I'm pretty sure that team leader who was, you know, a jujitsu, uh, star <laughs> to say the least, hand to hand star had done some cage fighting in his time, uh, crushed that dude and probably saved myself and a few members of my teams, if not lives, uh, from getting wounded that at that, that time. And, uh, it's still something that kind of haunts me as I think, should I have passed that building? You know, I still think about that, even though it has no relevance, it's over. I still second guess myself, you know, whatever, 12, 13 years later, um, about that night that I, I a decision I made could have put everybody in my squad six feet under. Uh, there'd be kids out there now without dads. And I think about that stuff. That stuff that I think a lot of us veterans think about is the close calls that we got by and we overanalyze stuff that we, that are, that's out of our control. But I digress. Um, now that I know that everything's going on. The gunfight that happened across the way, we moved down, clear the rest of the compound and it's, pretty much like any other night from there forward. Uh, clear it, back clear it, search it, get any stuff, contraband type stuff that we can, and uh, move to our Xville HLZ. Now, not really a happy story or like a fire up story in, in my thoughts. Uh, I still have literal nightmares about that dead kid laying there on that bed that's the same age of my son. Uh, I can't help it. I don't ask for them. I don't, I don't think about that event very often, but I still get visited by that event a lot in my dreams. Uh, um, and like I say, that was just one night in Afghanistan and it happened multiple times every night, multiple platoons, multiple military organizations every, every night and day. Uh, and that's the stuff sometimes we don't, we don't talk about as veterans. Right. And that's why I, to I told that story kind of a, a somber story because there's a lot of pomp and a lot of circumstance that are, uh, surround veterans day and there should be, but I think for some of us, and I know for some of us and not always, but veterans day can be a dark day because you're thinking about those who are no longer with us. You're thinking about those operations, those thank God that didn't happen or what ifs, and some people tell you it's stupid to think about stuff like that. It's, I tell you now, that's what a lot of veterans do because, uh, veterans who are separated from service, like we're, a lot of us are on an Island. We're alone. We go through veterans day alone. We use, um, and we think about those times, uh, cause it's, you know, put in our face all day on veterans day. Um, so I tell you that story to know that the veterans day is a great day, but it can also be a difficult day for a lot of veterans and uh, specifically I want to, I want to just discuss a little bit of something that's been going on lately is there have been a lot 
of suicides in the soft community, in the military community, in the last 60, last two weeks to, to two months, there's been an uptick. I've seen more suicides than I've seen in a while. And um, I've had three former service members, people that I've served with, reach out to me in the past couple of weeks because uh, they were in a dark place. Uh, and I, you know, hopefully help them get out of that dark place. But this is a rough time of year, I think, for veterans around Veterans Day. And uh, I'm going to give Yuma's theory on that. One, it's uh, the change in seasons, right? You're going into, it's not as much sunlight. Uh, you're not outside as much. You can find yourself isolated more. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's going into the holiday season. A lot of veterans... Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into the holiday season on the veteran community. And I think that's, you see the the widows and the kids of those that didn't make it home. You see, um, you know, the, the service members that are currently deployed, you know what they're going through, you know what they're feeling. Um, you think about your own, uh, you know, you're divorced. You're not around your own family as much as you want to be as a veteran. Uh, and a, a lot of combat operations and a lot of casualties, especially during the global war on terrorism, happened in August, September, October, November. And I specifically think October, November, because we were always trying to get it in. Both us and the enemy were trying to get it in before the winters hit in Afghanistan, specifically in Afghanistan. So combat events, combat casualties and losses take an uptick in the fall months because of uh, just the nature of what we were trying to do over there. And it all kind of—it's all just kind of a perfect storm there, uh, um, that a lot of veterans don't reach out and ask for help, but uh, uh, hopefully more will um, reach out and, and ask ask for help. Uh, so, on this Veterans Day uh, podcast, as uh, as we close it up here and land the ship, there's a couple things I'm going to ask of you guys to do that listen: reach out to a veteran, veteran friend of yours that you haven't talked to in a while. And just say what's up. And it's even better if you know he's somebody who's been through, he or she has been through a struggle recently. Reach out, say, reach out, text, call, message, whatever it is. And just say, what's going on? How are you? And I promise you that might uh, be the difference in making that person have a great day uh, or preventing that person from uh, taking his life or her life. So reach out, be an olive branch. Um, and if you're a, a veteran out there, that's struggling. Uh, all I can say is get over yourself. Uh, get out of your own way and go seek the help that you need. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of us, I know we all, I've done it. I know people have done it. We make our own excuses as to why we don't deserve to get help. Uh, I've heard it time and time again. Uh, for, I you know I only deployed three times and uh, you, you deployed 15 times. I don't need help. If anybody needs this help, you should get help. Um, that's just a cop out. It's a way to talk yourself out of being vulnerable and uh, and going and getting the help that you need. So quit it. Quit doing that and, and go talk to who you need to talk to. It can be a professional or it can be just a friend, right? Uh, a friend that can that can help you. And uh, if you're that friend that they call out there, give them good, honest feedback. Love them. Love them. But uh, don't baby them. You got to tell them to quit drinking so much. You got to tell them. Life's worth it. You got to tell them to pull out that Ranger Creed and read it right there on the spot. Uh, you got to lead them back out of the dark uh, and into the light. So 
that brings us to what what are we doing about it? Hopefully you do that. You communicate a little bit better with the community. But uh, I'm not going to fully unveil it now. But I am going to tell you, I'm going to need you people out there that listen to this uh, podcast or watch it. I'm going to need your help. And hopefully here in about the next week, I'm going to unveil a very off the wall. Uh, I don't know what I would call it, a venture that I'm going to take to hopefully raise some money about uh, veteran suicide awareness, uh, veteran mental health, and get it to a good veteran uh, organization that's uh, doing things, hopefully raise a lot of money and, and, and help people out in this, in this season. So I'm going to unveil that soon. Uh, it's going to take some get comfortable being uncomfortable by me to, to do what I think what I'm going to do, but uh, hopefully it'll work out. And I hope you at least, uh, tune in next uh next few weeks so you can see what i'm going to do and then as far as the podcast goes as a whole uh, i know we had a break uh, last week we're back and working with some guests to get them scheduled and in here and doing some stuff and uh uh, hope to keep doing this and and making an impact and uh, again i I just thank you all out there who listen uh it, it very you know i got some very dedicated listeners um it makes a difference uh, we're making a difference. This podcast makes a difference. I promise it saved, I think probably saved a life here in the last uh, couple of weeks. So, uh, I love you guys. I really need you to hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, uh, cause it drives the numbers and get, get it out in the people who need it. So, uh, thanks again. Happy veterans day. Enjoy it. Enjoy veterans day. And, uh, Hey, thank you for your service. I hate hearing that, but, uh, I'm a civilian now, so I'm going to say it to you guys. Out here. See you next week.